So here we are, 2024. I know. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Slightly broken and held together with sellotape, but here we are. <laughs> I know. I'm always bad at New Year, actually. I always love Christmas because you do that thing of just kind of slobbing out. And then by New Year, I've got really, really anxious about... I get very anxious about the idea of resolutions and changing your life. I, I've given up on that many, many years ago. I love the idea of it. And in fact, now my daughter's just bought a journal and was writing out her... Uh, resolutions and plans for 2024 and it's quite nice it's quite sort of galvanizing and focusing but in in my experience I stick to none of it I have the attention span of a gnat so I... the only new year resolution I've ever stuck to is that I decided to go to Paris every year <gasps> and I, I stuck to that for that's a, a lovely <laughs> resolution and I decided that positive resolution is the way to go so yes yeah. so this year well my Sponsored new year resolution is always the same it's always <laughs> learn Italian but I've got to stick to that. I've been writing Italian. Italian for 30 you, years and never learned Italian. The Duolingo is very good. Have yeah, you tried? No? I'm going to, yes, I am. I am going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Buongiorno. Anyhow, New Year's is a good time to talk on this week's episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic, with me, the critic, Sarah Crompton. And with me, the actress, Nancy Carroll. Um, about things that we've seen um, last year that we love, but that are carrying on, and things that are coming up that we're quite excited about. Yeah. Anyhow, one thing that we both saw and really loved um, at the Donmar was Next to Normal, which is transferring to Wyndham's. Yeah. Um, from June next year, and is well worth seeing, really interesting musical. No, it's beautiful. And and actually, it's inter- It's amazing. I mean, you would know this more than me, but it feels like loads and loads of stuff that's on in the West End has opened somewhere else. I think so. I think that's... It is, is that normal? More. Yeah, I think it has been for some time. Right, okay. I mean, maybe you know, the post- National has always wanted to make transfers. Yeah. And the, so the other thing I adored, in fact, just, well, we're talking about that. The other thing I adored at the National um, and is now moving has moved into the Noel Coward, which right. is backs on to Wyndham's, um, is uh, The Motive in the Queue, which is oh, a play yeah. about uh, John Gielgud and Richard Burton taking Hamlet to Broadway. And that had a very successful run at the um, National. Oh, and then I think probably the West End transfer was pretty well inked in on that one. Oh, yeah, I think so. And they're on until March, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, very exciting. Quite... I haven't seen that yet. I'm going to go as soon as I've finished. Yeah. I think so... you'll really, really like it. I mean, I think... It's a play. It's a nice play to go to if you like theatre because it's a play about theatre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's about all those. And you'll love it because it's about rehearsals. And yes. it's got this um, sense, which I think is very interesting, actually, sort of technically. It's a really interesting sense that you, the audience, are watching actors, watching actors, watching a rehearsal, but the. It's built on a series of sort of Chinese box thoughts. Yeah. Of looking into things and what you see and what you don't see. Yeah. And um, so though it's a play essentially, uh, you know, about celebrity and about fathers and about all kinds of different things and about Hamlet. Yeah. It's also that kind of sense of um, that there is a sort of structural interest in, 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 in that it's a, it, it really is a sort of um, a love letter to theatre and yeah. what theatre can and can't do. I love that, though. I love the fact that, I mean, there is a fascination, isn't there, with the process and um, how much of that person is present in a performance mm. and what one actor brings to something as opposed to another and 
and where those lines are, and particularly celebrity, because that does have a sort of rather titillating effect on any audience. If someone's been, if an audience member has enjoyed an actor on uh, the film screen or the television screen, and then suddenly to see them live, you know, it, it it's it has an effect. I mean, in the, in the olden days, people were clapped, weren't they? I mean, yes. also, if they are, you know, particular favourite of the stage, they would have been clapped. Yeah. But I can remember going to stuff like at Chichester years ago with like Patricia Routledge or Penelope Keith or someone, and they were applauded just for walking on the yeah. stage. Yeah. The I, round, they call it. But yeah, but it, I mean, yeah. but it's an interesting thing, isn't yeah. it? That there's a sort of, that's a proper open acknowledgement of, you know, how exciting to see you you know, yeah. warts and all in front of us. Yeah. And, and and I suppose that maybe that's the story, not having yeah. seen it. And the, well, yes, and the layers of it. So you do have this Johnny Flynn plays Burton and you do have him giving, you know, like about three performances as Burton because he's Burton the man off stage. Then he's Burton the actor acting Hamlet well and then he's Burton the actor acting Hamlet badly. So he's oh, right, got okay. all those kind of layers. And I interviewed Mark uh, Gatiss just before Christmas yeah. about he plays John Gilgood in it and he is by chance directing at the same time as he's acting at the Noel Coward in The Motive and the Queue. He has directed right. The Unfriend which, oh, yeah. uh, which is running in Wyndham's before Next to Normal. Brilliant, yeah. And so he has had this very weird thing where he's playing John Gilgood, directing. Yeah. And, and when he's on stage, he stands in a particular way with his elbows sort of slightly raised and, and, and slightly across him. He's got this mannerism. And he said, and he went, there's a passageway between the two theatres because they were both run by Albury. Right. And he built the two theatres. One was called The New, the Noel Cow was called The New. And right. then Wyndham's has always been called Wyndham's. And there's a little passageway. Yeah. That links the two of them and that was used by the theatre management. And so Gatiss as Gilgood is going to be able to go up the passageway into the other theatre. Um, but what he said was really weird and where he did just feel life and art to become as one was that he, he went in to direct the unfriend while he was rehearsing the motive and the cue. Yeah. And he found that he was standing in the same way as his John Gielgud. Oh gosh, how funny. But also um, had the same line. So he wanted to say, use your eyes, let the eyes do it. <laughs> yeah. So he was using it in life and on stage. So it is it is a wonderful sort of um yeah. He's amazing, unfolding. Mark, because he's written and directed a ghost story that was on telly over Christmas as well. Just sort of prolific. So prolific. Yeah. So prolific. It's absolutely amazing. And he's a we we had his work in our exhibition in the summer as well. That was Oh, did you? In yeah, your art he, exhibition. In the art exhibition and he had a beautiful portrait of Gilgood that he'd done in that. I mean he is just he's a very magical man. He is Mark. very magical and it was really, really lovely talking to him and yeah. You know, um, yeah. No, it's it's on a my very bu- exciting show. It's really well worth seeing. I do want to see it. It's on my list. As soon as I finish Rock and Roll on the 27th, and then I've got, there's a few things to catch. I want to see um, Pacific Overtures that's on at the Menier, I think, until end of Feb, I think. Um, that's come over from, I think they came via Japan, even. They opened in Japan. It is a Japanese theatre company. Yeah. And um, the pro- it, it's fast. I love Sondheim as, and uh, Pacific Overtures has always been a problem show because it was written and conceived to be about the American 
in, well, the American opening up of Japan, warship diplomacy, it is, gunboat oh. diplomacy, oh, it is, okay. right. essentially. And um, uh, it's Admiral Perry right. arrives and says to the Japanese, come on, you've got to talk to us. And that's the story. And Sondheim conceived it as a, a play told by the Japanese looking at the Americans. And oh, a, right. the original Broadway production by Hal Prince was was done like a no play. And everybody who saw it was just bowled over by it. Just, oh, wow. But obviously there are more kind of sensitivities around that now of kind of Western appropriation. And it wasn't really Western appropriation. There's a really good programme essay about it. Yeah. But the fact that she's now being done by a Japanese company yeah. in their style. Oh, okay. Really solves all of that. And okay. It's, it's, a re- it's such an interesting show and it's got brilliant songs in it. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of good musicals around. Yeah. And um, some of them coming in. Town, which was at the National in 2019, is coming back in at the end of February to the Lyric yep. on Shaftesbury Avenue. And opening night... With Sheridan Smith opens... Opening night with Sheridan Smith. That's coming in. That's directed by... But that's uh, that's written by Rufus Wainwright. Yes. Directed oh, by Eva Van Hover. That comes in 6th of March, The Gilgood. Yeah. Very um, exciting and quite wacky, diverse, you know, musicals. Not yeah. sort of the traditional... Whatever traditional fanfare is, but it, but it feels like they're all really interesting, good stories. Not necessarily what you would expect to be set to music, yeah. but but all challenging the medium and and great directors and performers and so much it's to see. So, it is so much to see, and actually also Starter for Ten is opening in the Bristol Old Vic, which again is you know Starter for Ten is a, a is a show based on my uh, David Nichols book about University Challenge. Oh God, they made. Yes, <laughs> wasn't there a movie with Benedict Cumberbatch yeah, and yeah. Uh, James McAvoy? That was and... a movie. God, that was a while ago. Yeah, it was a while ago, and it's, they've been developing it for a long time. Oh gosh, how exciting! So okay, I think that it's true. There's this kind of great richness yeah, of musicals yeah, yeah. coming in um, from and dealing with such interesting things. So next to normal, you know, deals with mental illness. Yeah, and grief, which, and, and in devastating ways. I mean, yeah, it's a fabulous yeah, yeah. show and fabulous, it's a beautiful show. And then Hades Town is, you know, a Greek myth transposed uh, by Anais Mitchell and Rachel Chavkin to sort of a speakeasy in New Orleans in the 1920s. Yeah, yeah. But which is really essentially takes the myth of Persephone and Hades as being about climate change and about and politics. It turns the Orpheus Eurydice myth into a political thing and it's a brilliant sung through show that, right. has, you know, won loads of awards on Broadway and is coming back reworked from the Nationals version of it. So that's, oh, really? I mean, oh, so again, that's not a direct transfer? It's not. A, they, 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 it's really interesting. They, they change it a little bit every time they stage it. They've been working on it for like 15 years. Yeah, yeah. And that is the other thing, isn't it? That the, all these shows seem to, um, people reconsider and rework on them again. Which, yeah. Um, and, there, yeah, a great range of shows coming up. Well, there seems to be as well, I think, maybe post-COVID, I don't know, but a real understanding of what audiences can cope with or want to see or need to see or, you know, there, there's 
there seems to be more language around that. Yeah. Maybe it's to do with being, you know, wanting things to work. And so they, those con- considerations have to be thrown into the mix in a slightly more um, potent way. But, yeah, um, yeah definitely. It- I think we are getting the post-COVID bulge, actually, a little bit. Okay. So, so the un- I, I, the ones I know about... Um, Town was due to come back much faster than right. it has. And right. it's been held up for about a year right. by COVID. So that's, you know, that's, we are the beneficiaries of its arrival now. Yeah. Um, also, uh, the unfriend was meant to transfer much earlier and that's, that's happened now. Right. So I think perhaps there is that sense of, there's an awful lot on yeah. at the start of the year as if there is a kind of richness kind yeah. of um Growing the Merchant of Venice is going into the criteria, and that's another transfer that's happening. Merchant with Tracy Ann Oberman, yes, the Merchant of Venice 1934. Oh, so is it she, right? Yeah, uh, so a rethinking set. In, oh, is that in the title the as well? Street. Okay, yes, Tracy Ann Oberman and Shylock. Yeah, I'm excited about that. That's been to Stratford. Um, no, that's going to Stratford, first, right? And then coming into the West, End. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've done a bit of a tour as well, haven't yeah. They? I think it's that sounds very interesting. Yeah. And it takes us back to our theme really of that idea of, of shows being revived but really being they're like new shows because yeah. they're so different. Yeah. In terms of the thinking yeah. behind them. The other one I'm really excited about on that line is um An Enemy of the People, which Thomas Ostermeyer is bringing with Matt Smith. Yeah. And that's coming in um to the Duke of York's in February. Oh, brilliant. And that's really interesting because that's Ibsen and Ibsen that seems completely relevant yeah. now because it's about a man, a doctor, who gives a warning about pollution, essentially. Right. And is prevented by all kinds of forces, both personal and political. Is that a rethinking of his play or, or are they doing it quite That's the basic plot of the play. But right. yeah, no, they're not doing it traditionally at all. Are they not? Okay. Um, it um, Thomas Ostermeyer has done it before in, in Berlin and he never does anything traditionally. Oh, right. really. <laughs> um, well, that's, so that's exciting. exciting. So, um, and I can't wait for that. And also I was very struck with that. Um, have you seen Matt Smith on stage before? Have you seen him on stage? Or have you seen David Tennant? Because what I was struck by was yeah. how good Doctor Who's are on yeah. stage. <laughs> I feel, you know, I feel it's like, that time traveling that really sort of does it. <laughs> gives you an extra edge. Gives you an extra edge. Uh, and certainly, you know, in the modern version, the modern incarnation of Doctor Who, it's yeah. had these two amazing stage actors in it. In Only Tennant David. No, I haven't seen all the Doctor yeah. Who's. Right, so, well, all... Uh, Jodie Whittaker, I think I've seen. Yes. Yeah. Who actually also is quite good on the stage. I've yeah. seen her on stage. But um, Tennant, David Tennant, is giving this absolutely um, uh, coruscating performance as Macbeth at really? the moment, which I think it's still running and sold out, though. I mean, inevitably. Yeah, yeah. Which is, um, its gimmick is that you, you listen through headphones. Oh, wow. Um, and... So you, he can whisper, which is magical. Actually, that bit where they can whisper and they can do the soliloquies very, very quiet. God, how clever. Very clever. Um, but actually what's amazing really about the production um, is just how good he and Kush Jumbo, who is Lady Macbeth, how brilliant their portrayals yeah. are. Um, 
And yeah, is the I whole thing with the headphones, or, or do you whole take them thing off with the headphones? And if you were sneaky and a critic, you took them off. It's what critics do: take off the headphones, see what it's like without. And what it is without is a very, very good production of a bear. Right, very quiet. Right. Um, but the headphones do give you this sort of sort of three D sound surround. It's very interesting. And do they play with that? Is there a sort of engineer somewhere hidden playing with the sound? Yes, but I would say my only disappointment with it, while admiring the production, was that having set up this soundscape... Yeah. And at the first, it's brilliant because you get the raven flying to the woods and the crows cawing and all the rest of it. But then they give up slightly. On, oh. Well, not it's not fair to say they give up, but they don't experiment with it quite as much as I perhaps would have hoped. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. Say. But it is... Um, it's it's great. It'd be interesting to see if you could do it with a, like in the in an imagined future where you could sort of swap between one room and another or something. You know how in the in the dressing rooms at the National you have like a tannoy system by your dressing table and it and it's got three settings, which is you know the Dorfman and the Littleton and then Olivier. And sometimes when you're getting ready and you swap between the two, if there was a production where you could literally go from one room to another yeah. or back to another scene or whatever that you could swap back and forth if it had that available. It would be amazing sort of yeah. well, interactive. Yeah, well, do you remember that um, um, our mutual friend Anna Quick was in a production called Anna at the National Oh, yes, Theater, yes, we spoke which, about this, didn't we? Which played with it exactly that idea, which yeah. had, um, uh, it was a box of sound. And they were, so what you as the audience heard yeah. was where the micro, so there was a, a bad character in the play. Yes. And, um, or a character who wasn't, a, you know, actually, they were pretty bad, but a character who certainly wasn't what you thought. And you, the audience, heard what they were hearing. Yeah. And it was riveting because everybody had to say all their lines yeah. all the time. Right. But actually, the, the amount that you heard was just conditioned on where the hidden mic was. You see, I love that because you're basically playing with senses aren't you yeah. i mean in in old school terms it's like having smells in a theater you have some other sense that your body is sort of operating on another level that you're not quite sure of but you're you're comforted by it or you're alerted to something and joe saw a production with simon mcburney at the barbican uh called the encounter which used a similar device where you're wearing earphones and i do think there's something katie mitchell experimented with it really early on i yeah. think with the waves and Various things really early on at the National where you were using lots of different mediums that were all talking to each other, but also sort of slightly Brechtian in that sort of you, you're, 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 the process is happening on stage. But it doesn't in any way, for my money, anyway, for my taste, doesn't deter from the experience. Yeah. It, you're actually just seeing the layers of production in front of you. Yeah, yeah but, I think it's one area that technology has made theatre better really exciting it's been oral sound and it does it is a sound and it's so good now yeah i think yeah yeah yeah. so you don't um there were a couple of moments in the Macbeth where you heard that you know they they hugged and you heard the mics but actually most of the time the quality was extremely good yeah and the encounter was i remember watching the encounter and 
you actually, I actually turned around at one point because I thought an animal was behind <gasps> me, you know, and it was so, so oh, that's surrounded. amazing. It was, and, and that enabled McBurney to be the single person on the stage and yet be in a whole world. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it is a really exciting development. And it's very inclusive, you know, because often you're in an auditorium where people could be under the circle, you know, the, yeah. the, the whatever you call it, the the lip, the toe, the thing that comes out of you if you're sat in the back of the stalls and, and um, you know, or you uh, have restrictive view or whatever, suddenly there's a device whereby everybody has the same experience. Mm. And that's that's pretty lovely. Yeah. And actually just, I mean, it's, the Donmar, in fact, has really paved the way. Michael Longhurst, this is his final season at the Donmar. Yeah. And I think one of the his really radical interventions has been that he has brought the idea of playing with sound and playing with technology into what he's done there. Yeah. And um, he did this amazing play called Blindness, where it was right at the end of the pandemic. Right. when And it was one of the very first things to emerge when we were allowed back into a common space. And it was a complete audio experience. So it was Juliet Stevenson reading. Oh, yeah. This story, absolutely terrifying story right. about um, a dystopian world. Yes. And all you did, and it really was one of the most memorable theatrical experiences of my life, all you did was sit on a chair a long way from anyone else. Right. And listen to this tale coming through your ears. And in a, in the, it was extraordinary. And I oh, think brilliant. he has actually broken a lot of new ground. That, yeah we will see more and more of, of making theatre into a kind of both a live and technological experience, which but I think this is very But this is it, isn't it? Because you know, we, we um, chatted many pods ago about the nature of microphones on stage and miking stages and miking actors and whether something rather old school has been lost. I think it was around the time that Derek Jacobi wrote, an, there was an article yeah, or an interview right, with yes. him and he was sort of saying that something of a... Of a anatomical instrument tradition that it, that has been left by the wayside unnecessarily in terms of voice training and all the rest of it. But this is the flip side. Yeah. The flip side is we live in an age where the most remarkable technology is available to us and even the simplest device can create something extraordinary for an audience and 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 play with the senses. And and I I don't see any harm in that. No. I mean, there's, you know, there's lots to be gained from understanding what your body can create in terms of sound, but also embracing, you know, the multimedia nature and also the production team. So yeah. it's not just purely about what actors do on stage, but actually actors are working directly with crew to create this single moment. Yeah. Which is and it is interesting. It So there's more, I think maybe one of the trends of 2024, if you're going to look, is that I think there is a consciousness of what you can do with audiences, how you can immerse them yeah. in a space, as yeah. well as just sort of having them watching something, you know, yes. that's slightly distanced from you. Um, the Ostermeyer, I think, will do that. And also uh, the Macbeth, which I've seen in Liverpool, comes into London. Yes. At and and you've just been which to see a show at the same yeah, space. Yeah, the same place, which is the old Decathlon building at uh, Surrey Keys up by Canada Water Station. And it was 
it was a decathlon for ages and you know I liked for fans of decathlon we're like <laughs> but where's decathlon gone but actually um we went to see rumble in the jungle which was about the george foreman muhammad ali fight in 74 that got delayed because um it was in zaire and george foreman uh in one of his training sessions cut his eyebrow oh yeah and they ended up having to wait six weeks for it to heal properly because it was such a deep horrendous cut but it then became this extraordinary festival and celebration of of black power of african-american black culture and and just everything that ali was talking about and and James Brown went out there and Bill Withers and all sorts of brilliant people. And it became this massive festival massive thing, and great celebration. Yeah. So the whole space became this immersive experience. I, I just I just thought it was really, really exciting. I took the kids and they're always my litmus test in terms of how accessible performances are and how easy a story is to follow. And there were loads of kids. And because of the nature of being this vast space, it was, there were families, people with prams and kids running around. So you enter, you get, you go into this very small space. And there was initially, it was like four narrators who were from Zaire saying, you may think this is a story about boxing, but actually it's about Africa. And, um, and we're going to tell you. Right. We're going to tell you what oh, it meant wow. to us. And then you go in and it's this whole marketplace and there are bars and you could buy food and drink and whatever. And then David Frost, who was the, like, one of the main reporters there, was an actor brilliantly playing right. David Frost, was walking around and interviewing uh, politicians. And then he had a whole big sort of um, staged, uh, what do they call it, when the journalists are all there? The press, press conference. Press, yeah, press yeah, conference yeah. with uh, Foreman and Ali and... and I just thought it was impeccable, but so exciting that they used the entire space. The and then thing. there was a huge musical performance. And then suddenly, rather brilliantly, the backdrop became transparent and you realised that what was behind the stage was the boxing ring. So then the audience then oh, went wow. in. And then little groups were taken off and there were various political interventions that happened at various points. So 20 audience members would suddenly be gathered and taken into a small room and watch a little mini press conference. The whole thing was so brilliantly organised. We're coming to the end, but I just wanted to mention a couple of new plays by women that I'm quite excited about. Uh, one, Well, three actually. One, a transfer, which we both loved, which was A Mirror by Sam Holcroft. Yeah, awesome. Which we saw at the uh, Almeida, Johnny Lee Miller, Tanya yeah. Reynolds, Michael Ward, Jeffrey Streetfield. We both thought it was absolutely awesome. Yeah, fascinating. Brilliantly directed by Jeremy Heron. Transferring to... It's transferring to the Trafalgar Theatre. Yeah. And I'm really glad it's got a transfer because you and I loved it. Yeah. It wasn't entirely well received. Um but everybody else was wrong, I think. Yeah. But that's interesting, isn't it? That then there's a sort of audience thrust of desire that, that comes into the mix as well, which yeah. is exciting. Yeah. Not, yeah. not to do down the, the power of press. No, I think you should do. I mean, I think it is <laughs> true. No, no, I think you should do down the power of press. Well, it's also the variety of opinion because yeah. I did really love it. I yeah. said I really loved it. Quite a lot of women like writers liked it more than men writers, which takes me back to my um, my other recommendation is um, Beth Steele, who wrote A House of Shades yes. at the Almeida a few years back with the mighty Anne-Marie Darf, uh, which again, I thought was a Fabulous family saga, big, big drama. Right. Mm, 
slightly snivelly received by some of my male colleagues. I don't know. Anyhow, she has a new play yeah. called Till the Stars Come Down, opening at the National. <gasps> oh, yes. Which again is a... With Sinead Matthews and Mark Wotan, which is really... They're, they're both glorious. Right. Yeah. And, and you know, sounds exciting. Set at a family wedding. So it right. sounds as if, again, it's got that kind of idea of of, of the epic and the domestic coming yeah. together, yeah, yeah, which yeah, I think yeah. she does so well. Yeah. Um, and the two other things I want to mention, Lucy Kirkwood yeah. um, has got a play called The Human Body, which opens at the Donmore Warehouse on the 16th of February. Right. Um, again, an, uh, you know, amazing writer. Yeah. Brings together big and small. Right. And in this case, it's the foundation of the NHS and a love story. Oh, is it really? Oh, how exciting. That's a long overdue story to be told. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I I did a reading of a play a number of years ago, uh, which was going to go on and then didn't go on but i it it's an untold story and and particularly now when you know at at a time when the nhs again sort of do extraordinary things against the odds and are under threat under this present government uh you know and everything we understand about how extraordinary they are and and you know and how the people that work there and the ethos of it that just it's, powers yeah. through and and this amazing story that um unfortunately didn't um we didn't it didn't come together which was a play by paul unwin was the story of the five politicians who worked day and night to put it together and and ultimately had to pay off the doctors yes and that's how they got it through because they didn't want to lose their sort of consultancy fees which you know it was a different generation different time you know no judgment on on doctors but but ultimately the story was that within five years I think those people were all dead because yeah. they had exhausted themselves oh, growing this thing from nothing. So I don't know what this is, this version of it is, but I do think it's a story it's just good waiting. So, so, well, I suspect it has elements. I haven't read it, but it's. I suspect it has elements of that in because it is about Keely Hawes plays a GP at the start of the NHS. Right. And um, it's a love story as well with Jack Davenport. And it sounds really interesting. Yeah. Interestingly, also, it's a moment because Nye is on at the um, National Theatre yeah. in um, end of February, March. And that, of course, is about Nye Bevan. So that's Michael Sheen starring as Nye, Be- oh, Nye Bevan. Brilliant. So that's another sort of big look at the, the political angle of it. And they've it. got the lovely um, Tony Gioardina um, playing Churchill, which Play is Churchill. one of the first people of colour to play Churchill, I think. Oh, wow. Which is really brilliant. And again, long overdue. Yeah, long overdue looks fascinating. Yeah. And finally, the the other big opening, I guess, is um, Jazz Butterworth's The Hills of California, which comes on at the Harold Pinter from January 27th. And that's another... I mean, he obviously had such success with Jerusalem. Yeah. And then the ferryman. ferryman yeah. And the ferry, it reunites the team of the ferryman because it's Sam Mendes and Laura Donnelly and um, Butterworth. And it's another big family saga. Yes. Brilliant Helena Wilson, who I did Deep Blue Sea with, playing one of the sisters as well. It's good. I can't wait. I can't wait for that. Set not in California, but in Blackpool. Yeah. In a guest house. Yeah. Which I love. I love the whole idea. How exciting. 2024. It's going to be a great year. Yeah. We're going to be here talking about it. Yeah. As it unfolds. Talking about, yeah, a whole year ahead. Yeah. Very exciting. 
So that's a goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. And a goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic.